I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. I'm a medical writer and patient educator who lives with a J-pouch due to ulcerative colitis. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 127. For years, we were told that diet doesn't matter in IBD. We know now that diet is important in IBD. What's still not clear though, is how we should be thinking about it in terms of management. Though as I'm sure you know, there are lots of opinions. While diet continues to be under study, those of us who live with an IBD, and especially those of us that are post-surgery, are figuring it out day by day. My guest is Helena Murphy. Helena is a photographer and yoga teacher and has brought her skills and experience to writing a book entitled The Plant-Based Crohn's and Colitis Cookbook. Helena was diagnosed with Crohn's disease relatively recently. She learned how to manage her IBD while integrating it into her life, which includes a plant-based diet, a love of yoga, and a thriving photography career. She shares her secret to publishing her book, as well as how her life has changed since being diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Helena, welcome to About IBD. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. You're doing such great work and I want to hear all about it. I want to get you to introduce yourself a little bit. I know you're a photographer, of course, and now you are an author. Will you also tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. So um, I started my creative business journey in 2018. Prior to that time, I had been working in kind of big corporate jobs in London, in the UK, uh, where I'm based. And I'd been working in uh, sort of like content and editorial. And I just decided I really wanted to march to the beat of my own drum. So I left that world and started my own um, creative business. The first year was very much uh, pulling at all of these different threads to see what kind of piqued my interest the most. So because I'd been in content and editorial, that's pretty much where I started. I was doing um, blog posts and social media. Um, I was also training to be a yoga teacher on the side. So I've been doing that for one weekend every year. And at that time, I started teaching as well. So I added that to my bow. But after a year, it was too many things. It was very complicated and hard to stay on top of. So I kind of let all the threads of it fall away. And I ended up just sticking with commercial photography, which is what I was really leaning in towards. It what it was what felt the most aligned and teaching yoga as well on the side. And um, yeah, we're in 2022 and I'm still doing those two things as like my primary kind of business journey. So commercial photography, food and product and um, guiding yoga a couple of times a week in Bristol, which is where I live now. It's amazing. So much to get to because you have so much going on. But the first thing that I want to start with is your diagnosis journey. I wonder if you would tell me a little bit about when your symptoms started, what it was like to get diagnosed with Crohn's disease and how that has all come into your life. Of course. So we moved uh, from London to Bristol in um, 2020. So it was just a couple of weeks actually before um, the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down for us here in the UK. And I started getting my symptoms um, in that summer. At first, I, I just wasn't really sure what was going on. It, it was kind of a slow creep. I noticed diarrhea, just explosive diarrhea, <laughs> which anyone with Crohn's or colitis will be familiar with. There's no other word for it, right? There's, it's just explosive. <laughs> yeah. 
explosive. I was like, what is going on? But there was no one in my family who had a history of Crohn's or colitis. At that time, I actually had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of it. It's a disease that I'm not sure about in your life, Amber, but no one really speaks about very publicly here in the UK. And I'm not sure if it's like an embarrassment thing because it is like bo like intimate bodily functions. I guess not many people feel comfortable going around saying, oh, I have this really explosive diarrhea. But anyway, that's what, um, that's <laughs> yeah, what started sure. happening. <laughs> yeah. So I started seeing if I could cut out um, caffeine. I was like, oh, maybe I'm allergic to caffeine. Like that's a laxative. That seems like a sensible place to start. That didn't really help. Um, I started taking, maybe I need some probiotics, you know, all this kind of self-diagnosis stuff. I was like, oh, I'll just get these like women's health pills. Uh, I just started taking those. That didn't help, obviously. Um, and then eventually my mum my got wind of it. And I have to say, she's the fiercest advocate for my health. Um, and she actually works within the NHS um, in, in England, our, our health service, our health system. Yeah. Um, and she was like, no, you need to get some blood tests done and see what's going on here. Because to have this level of consistent diarrhea for such a long period of time, something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know about you, like at, at the beginning, you're like, no, nothing's wrong. Like, it's fine. I don't want to take up people's time. I'm exaggerating. Yes. Like nothing, nothing's that wrong. Is it really that bad? Yeah. 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 Like I can live with this. It's okay. But anyway, so I had these blood tests done thanks to my mom being really um, like fierce that I needed to have them done and they showed uh, crazy levels of inflammation um, so they referred me to my gastroenterologist and I was booked for a um, top and tail so my endoscopy and my colonoscopy which was delightful and um, yeah they very <laughs> could very quickly establish that I had Crohn's disease. I love the top and tail I'm going to start using that yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what they referred uh, in the hospital. They said, we're booking you in for top and tail. I was like, oh, that sounds uh, interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I received my diagnosis pretty quickly. And I have to say I'm very grateful because I know that a lot of people in our community uh, have undiagnosed pain and stress and worry for years and years before they receive a diagnosis. And mine was within like six to eight months. And then I could start my process of medication. So I got that diagnosis in January 2021. So yeah, like six months after I'd started getting symptoms very quick. Right, right. I don't know. It's 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 quick on the scale of the IBD patients, I would say, as a whole, like the community of IBD patients. But I still feel like that's a long time, right? You were having explosive diarrhea. Was there anything else where you, I know when I had those symptoms, like I was just losing weight hand over fist and I was exhausted. Did you have anything like that too? Yeah, I had the exhaustion for sure. And again, I just kept chalking it up to just having off days. Um, so like there would be some days where I just felt really exhausted. And and yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. So I would sort of um, be dragging myself to go teach or dragging myself oh. to class and, and just being like, that was really hard today. And like, I have no idea why. And then in my head, I'd be like, well, maybe if I go to yoga, I'll feel better, which is a logical thing to think. But obviously, when you don't know that you're extremely deficient in X, Y and Z and you have malabsorption, absorption issues that it puts it into a whole new light in hindsight. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I wish we could yoga our way out of it, but I don't think that's something we can do. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. <laughs> yeah, so let's get right to your book because there's a lot to talk about there. So the title is The Plant-Based Crohn's and Colitis Cookbook. So I know lots of people who've written cookbooks, but you're the first cookbook author I'm having on about IBD. So, and as a writer myself, I'm interested to know, and this is a big question, but what was the process of writing this book like for you? 
Mm, okay, great question. So uh, the idea really landed in my head. Um, and I don't know if you've read or if anyone in your audience has um, read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. No, I have not. No. Um, Okay, so she has this idea about um, like ideas and she feels like they're kind of floating around the universe and they're looking for like a human counterpart to team up with and to make them a reality. And this idea will only knock on your door for a limited time and you have to open the door or if you keep the door closed, it's going to go on and find someone else. So it really did feel like that. Maybe that sounds a little woo woo, but it it really felt (laughs) like that. So it landed in Mm -hmm. my head. And I was like, "Mm, well, I'm a food photographer. I have Crohn's disease. I was in remission at this point, so I felt well enough to do it. I was like, uh, my partner is a graphic designer who has um, put the book together for me. And my partner's mother is a nutritionist. And I just thought we've got this whole sort of family set up, which is like perfect for creating this cookbook. So that's how the, the idea landed with me. And I did briefly consider, should I go through the traditional route of um, pitching to get the book published via a traditional publishing house, or um, I could self-publish. And I've self-published before. My partner and I used to run a vegan coffee table magazine in 2017, 18, and I think 19. We published four issues. So I'd had experience of of what that process would be like. So I knew what I was letting myself in for. I knew kind of all the different stages I would have to go through to get it from idea to to finished product. So it didn't feel too overwhelming. And there was also the part as well that with a traditional publishing house, I was aware that you have to sign over a lot of your control about sort of editorial decisions or image decisions. And because this cookbook has been born of such a personal journey, I really didn't want someone who has no experience with living with Crohn's or colitis to be telling me, you have to change X, change Y, you know, that kind of thing. So, and I also just wanted to crack on and <laughs> just do it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. self-publishing was was the route that I chose for, for those reasons. Um, and I pretty much just put together um, put together a plan using my iCalendar and using um, Google Drive, really nothing like too fancy, and started like working backwards. So I was like, this is when I want it to come out. What do I need to oh. do working backwards um, to, to have everything ready and to kind of get to that point? So all self-imposed deadlines that I would just put into my calendar throughout the year. And I started in April of this year. And I'm just finishing um, now. So it's taken about nine months or so, eight or nine months. And that's sort of like juggling my my day job with, with the cookbook. So it's been a labor of love, but it's been very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to do something like this, you do have to love it. But I love how you went about it in a very systematic way. You were you were not woo about it. But one of the things that I always wonder about cookbooks is is deciding upon the recipes. So this is a plant-based book. It is for people that live with an IBD. So I imagine you had a set of things that you had to make sure that a recipe would fit in the style of of this book. What was that like? Yeah, for sure. So recipe, putting together the recipes was based on obviously my lived experience of having mild um, flair, really severe flair to the point where I can eat basically any solid foods. So I draw on a lot of um, lived experience of you know, eating a crumpet and feeling like I was going to die and, you know, Mm. all of those Mm. kind of things. But also bearing in mind that it's such an individual disease, isn't it? Like we all have such um, different trigger foods. So the criteria for the recipes, there's like no, obviously no spicy recipes, (laughs) not adding any jalapenos or chilies or hot sauce to anything. (laughs) 
everything is um, very cooked. Um, so no raw vegetables. Like I have a salad section, but it's all like cooked salads. Um, I want this to be as helpful as possible for people, obviously, who are just like, what do I eat when they get their mm -hmm, diagnosis mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe have suffered. We have it for life. So, you know, <laughs> there's no end point to this journey. Um, so, yeah, all really cooked uh, vegetables, lots of substitution ideas. So I've got like a table of kind of like handy swaps. So because, you know, I might be fine with aubergine, but then maybe somebody else isn't or eggplant. Sorry. Um, ah, I was going to say that's eggplant, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like the one vegetable where it's like a different word. Um, yeah, so this handy table of like swaps so that when people look through the through the cookbook, if they want to put together one of the recipes and they think, oh, but I can't have carrots, they can flick to the, the table I've put together and think, oh, so what else could I use instead of carrots? So that was quite like an important component for me. Um, and then also um, like a blender and a food processor is 100% necessary for all of the well, for the majority of the recipes in the cookbook, because we want everything to be as easy as possible to digest and starting that digestion process before the food has even hit your mouth is really key. So there's a lot of um, soups, there's a lot of stews, there's a lot of like dips and sauces. So really just ways of making sure that people can get their sort of punch of nutrition, their fiber, their protein, but all in a really easily um, digestible and accessible way. So that was kind of my criteria alongside just incorporating as wide a variety of fruit and veg as possible to kind of cover the fact that like lots of people have lots of different triggers. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it goes beyond just cookbook though. It's not just a beautiful book of recipes that you follow. It's really more of a, a plan and a how-to. You're, you're teaching people not only that can they make this recipe, but then how can they change the recipe to, to suit their own needs, which I think, I don't know, I think it goes beyond cookbook really, you know? Yeah, I really hope so. Um, I really want it to just be as informative and useful as possible. And I've also put together um, like a whole opening chapter on diet in relation to IBD, um, mm -hmm. just so that, you know, it's just it's really overwhelming when you receive a diagnosis or or even after, to be honest, or when something changes or your medication stops working and you have to switch. Um, it, it's always changing this, what can I tolerate? What can't I tolerate? And I think it's important to know as much as possible. And and obviously I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm a patient of IBD, just like everyone else. So I think it's always really important to check your sources, um, including me, you know, I'm not, I don't pretend to have, you know, dietitian qualifications, but I have um, done as much research as possible to um, make this as useful as possible. And I have this introductory chapter, which just kind of outlines what happens in the digestion process or, you know, because I mean, I probably learned that at school, but I mean, who's remembering that like 20 years later? Um, <laughs> so it kind of recaps this. Um, and it also talks about fiber and it talks about um, meat and animal um, protein because it is a plant-based mm -hmm. cookbook. And it talks about ultra processed foods and, and their um, sort of positioning in relation to IBD. But I would also say that um, I want to signpost people to um, Dr. Alan Desmond, who I leaned on quite heavily in putting together the nutrition information. He's a gastroenterologist in the UK based in Devon, um, and he's like a, pl a plant forward gastro. So um, he shares a lot of really valuable um, resources that if people are interested in learning more about it from someone who is actually in the medical profession, <laughs> he's a great person to look to. I love that. I love 
evidence-based things. So check your sources. You had a great team around you, you're self-publishing, but you you really did have everything in place. And yourself, you're a double threat. You're you're the author, you're the photographer. But even so, this is a difficult thing to do for anyone really, but it's also a challenge for someone who is working their way through a new diagnosis. You're, you're diagnosed not long ago. What would you say to anybody else who has that passion that found them, they hear that knocking, they want to open that door, they want to write a, a similar book or take on a similar project? What would you say to someone to inspire them to do it? Yeah, I was. I would wholeheartedly encourage anyone to. And the thing with um, self-publishing is that it's such a great leveler. Like beforehand, there are all these uh, gatekeepers of who can, you know, yes. whose idea is valid and you know who is worthy of um, producing a piece of content. But now with um, with things like Amazon self-publishing or there are a couple of other platforms as well, anyone like you or me can um, create content and put it out there if you feel like you have a message that is worthy of sharing. Um, which I love. I love the sort of democratization of that that process. And I'd say just start start with a plan. You can look at the big picture. It's really easy to get overwhelmed, but kind of breaking it down into smaller actionable steps and, and have people around you who are encouraging and supportive, like really takes a village. I definitely couldn't have um, put together this cookbook without, you know, encouragement and support from like friends and family. So just leaning on those people and um, taking things one step at a time with a clear plan to keep you nice and focused. It's also not easy to have a full-time job and also you're in a creative field. And then you decided to start to tell the story of your diagnosis. I want to know what it was like for you to click publish on those first posts that you were making discussing your Crohn's disease. What kind of emotions did you have around that? Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I can look at it, I guess, now with a little bit of hindsight now that I'm that I'm in remission and I'm feeling good. Um, I think the thing with invisible illnesses is they're quite challenging because it's only the people who are intimately involved in your day to day life who can really see the impact that it's had. Um, especially when you're in a really bad place. So when I was in my my kind of worst flare, I really did lose all semblance of my normal life. I would mm -hmm. just move from my bed to the sofa and back for months. I just had no energy. I was just sleeping for most of the day, shaking with cold and my weight went down to like six stone, 12 pounds or something. And yeah, it's only the people who are sort of like in your immediate vicinity who can understand just how devastating it, it can be and it's it's not just the symptoms that you experience at that time but it's also that worry of like we don't know when the medication is going to start working or mm -hmm. when any roadblocks or delays might have cleared for us to get access to the next medication so mm -hmm. it you know you're in this position that feels really vulnerable and you're thinking well is it going to be three months that I feel better is it going to be six months is it going to be a year is it going to get worse I know that the statistic is is really high it's I think it's something like everyone who's diagnosed with IBD has like a 50 percent 
chance of at some point having surgery in the future. So it's also a bit like, is this particular flare going to lead to surgery? Like there's all these things in the back of your mind that you that you just are worried about. And uh, yeah, from the outside, you still look really normal and fine. <laughs> so it can be really challenging for other people to understand just quite how unwell you are. So for me, that was one of the biggest challenges. But I would say that when I opened up to the people in my life and my online community mm-hmm. um, about what was going on, lots of people were very supportive and, you know, had no idea what was going on. Um, yeah. And we're just wholeheartedly really, really like lovely and supportive in general. So I'm very lucky. It kind of doesn't surprise me a little bit because the IBD community is so welcoming and so open. And of course, now, uh, hopefully, you're also seeing that people in the community are supportive of your journey, but also your work. Getting back to your book, people may think that being vegan and living with an IBD and maybe even especially Crohn's disease, that those two things are not compatible. But we're, as we're understanding more about nutrition, we're finding out that, yes, you, you, know, you can have a plant-based diet. So has, has anyone ever told you that, tried to get you to change the way that you prefer to eat? You know, what do you say to those people? Yeah, for sure. And I, um, thank you for asking the question. I think it's a really valid, it's a valid point. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of confusion about what should we eat in general. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, obviously, we we live in different countries, but in the UK, my medical team were awesome. But there really was like limited slash no conversation about um, diet or movement or stresses or lifestyle factors in relation mm-hmm. to my disease and how that might play a role in maintaining remission or reaching remission. Mm-hmm. Um So I think it needs to be talked about more in general. And I would also say that it's a plant-based cookbook and I am vegan, um, but not a dogmatic vegan. (laughs) I really want people to kind of take what they want and leave what they don't want from this cookbook. Mm -hmm. And I really hope it's a place um, that's more like a springboard, like a jumping off point to give some fresh ideas or, um, yeah, just give some new ideas into how people could cook and eat. And perhaps if someone wanted to incorporate some fish into the taco recipe or they wanted to incorporate some chicken into the pasta recipe, they could do that and kind of um, customise it as they saw fit. But in general, I think people assume that a vegan diet or a plant-based diet is incompatible with IBD because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, general chat about low fibre with IBD, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which makes it does make sense when you when you think about it at first, because you're like, okay, well, if I'm running to the toilet 15 times, <laughs> 15 times a day, um, adding more fiber to my diet is going to make me want to go to the toilet more. So maybe I just should have low fiber diet. But mm-hmm. fiber has um, lots of really beneficial qualities. It's really important um, for preventing IBD in the first place. It's, it plays a preventing role, but it's also really good for helping to regulate weight, lowering cholesterol. It can help to stabilize blood sugar. It can lower your risk of heart disease. and It feeds the um, healthy gut bacteria. It also provides a source of energy to the cells that um, line the gut. Um, there's an evidence-based uh, study that shows that soluble fiber in particular um, can help reduce inflammation in the lining of the bowel. Um, and it can help maintain the integrity of the gut barrier. So fiber is really, really important for us. And it plays a key role in helping to prevent IBD. So that's kind of um, that's kind of fiber. 
Um, and then in relation to um, kind of meat and um, dairy, again, as I said, I'm I'm just kind of putting it out there as an offering and I, I don't want it to be a, a dogmatic um, piece. But in the, in the book, there's a couple of like evidence-based um, studies that have shown sort of like um, animal protein and animal fat in relation to IBD. And one of the most um, compelling studies that I've got in the in the opening chapters of the cookbook is a study of um, 68 patients who have Crohn's disease and they're all kind of in like a, a moderate to severe flare of their disease. And half of the patients are kind of newly diagnosed and then half of the patients um, have had the disease for a long time and they've been proving difficult to treat with like traditional medications. Um, mm. So they're asked to um, have half of their calories from um, an enteral nutrition formula, so like a nutrition shake, and then half of their calories from a whole foods plant-based diet. And they did this study for six weeks. And at the end of the six weeks, 78% of the newly diagnosed um, patients showed significant clinical remission and 70% were in remission. And then with the more sort of um, established sufferers, 90% um, were feeling substantially better and 62% were in clinical remission, which is really, really encouraging and really positive. Um, and I think there's about a 30 to 40% success um, rate with traditional treatments like immune suppressants. So that's just one of the studies that's in the cookbook, which is just really interesting, um, I think, just from like a what should we eat perspective. Yeah, I think we have a long way to go with helping people understand fiber, the different kinds of fiber. And I'm saying this out loud to myself because it's not something that I fully understand either. But I've met patients who were told to go on a low fiber diet, either uh, because they were in a flare up or after a surgery or, or some other kind of procedure. But then nobody ever comes back to them and says, okay, now let's advance your diet and go back to eating fiber. And so some people are on a low fiber diet for a really long time. Yeah. And yeah, you, you raise a valid point. Yeah. It not only is that bad, but like, it just sounds really boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're right. There are times when a low fiber diet is appropriate when you're preparing for a colonoscopy, if you have strictures, or if you're in a really, really bad flare, of course, low fiber diet all the way. But as you said, um, yeah, they're never then told, oh, and at, at a certain point, you do need to increase your fiber intake again. And these people yeah. are just left hanging, I don't know, eating Rice Krispies forever and bread. Yes. <laughs> <It's really sad. laughs> <laughs> it is because I mean, you know, I, you know, I'll tell you, I've been told to like cool it on the on the salads, on the green salads, so not cooked vegetables, raw vegetables. I've been told to cool it, and I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat a salad. I just, I don't, to to be otherwise, I don't know. I don't want to live like that. You do teach yoga, as we talked about. We can't yoga our way out of having IBD. <laughs> but I'm sure you also know that yoga, there are studies that show that that yoga is a beneficial practice specifically for people um, with IBD. So I'm wondering, though, since your diagnosis, you may have had to change your relationship with with yoga, and how do you incorporate it into your life now in the in the setting of Crohn's disease? Mm, yeah, this is a really good question. Um, 
I would say my yoga definitely helped me through the worst parts um, of my Crohn's flare, for sure. Um, it was a unique challenge being self-employed and and uh, experiencing a flare because, uh, yeah, if you don't, if you're self-employed and you don't work, then you don't get paid and you can't pay yeah. your bills. So that yes, yes, that I know was this. a yes. unique challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but luckily I have a very supportive community of of yogis in in Bristol where I live, and the studios I work at are really supportive, and they did their best to to help me and were super understanding if I had to cancel last minute because I just couldn't get there. Um, mm. But in general, in terms of like the practice and and how it helped me. Obviously, the the physical practice, the asana practice had to change dramatically when I could, if I couldn't walk from the bed to the sofa, there's no way I was like moving through multiple sun salutations in a 60 minute practice. Mm. Um, It really taught me patience. I'm not in general a patient person. (laughs) So uh, it was really a humbling lesson and it really helped me uh, to self-regulate. It helped me to accept where I was in my body. And there are still so many practices beyond just the asana, beyond the movements that you can do when you can't physically use your body. Breaths, meditations, journaling, Um, Yin yoga poses for people who aren't so familiar. Yin is a floor based practice. You use lots of cushions and bolsters and bricks to kind of support your body in various shapes. Um, Mm. And you hold the poses for three minutes, five minutes. So I was capable of doing that. I was like, I think Mm -hmm. I can lie on my bolster on the floor. (laughs) So that was, (laughs) that was, um, yeah, I definitely did a lot more yin during this time. you can get very wrapped up, can't you? And sort of what you do as a living becomes your identity. I am a photographer. I am a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. So it, it was definitely a uniquely challenging time. But I mean, I don't necessarily want to go through that again. But the lessons that I learned were super important, I guess. Um, yeah, as I said, kind of humbling and, and just taught me to to slow down and to accept where I was and to be as OK with it as possible and to just kind of constantly be like this will this will pass but this is how it is for now and you have to sit with it and you know it's a lesson in acceptance <laughs> for sure mm-hmm. so I, I know you're just birthing your first book here but I have to say I feel like you have another one in you I feel like your description of yoga oh. and how you worked through it what do you think about that <laughs> yeah um, yeah let's see what 2023 brings <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would love to see that. I would love to see your unique perspective on that and, and uh, take us through the journey of how your relationship changed and how you incorporated it. And um, from all the stages as you went through your diagnosis process and getting a flare up under control and then now feeling better. I don't know, just throwing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that um, it's definitely when your sort of physical body is attacking you and Mm -hmm. you know you what you could do you can no longer do when you get back to to health it feels amazing to to be strong and and I think I now have a newfound appreciation of of being strong and um I've now started like going to the gym and lifting weights as well as uh doing yoga to to be strong and to kind of work on my cardio and 
and now like I really love um, like hiking my partner really likes hiking too so we do a lot of hiking and I I got into I live in um, Bristol it's um, really near to Cornwall and Devon in the UK which is really famous for surfing so I've just got into surfing this last year or so and yeah I guess I just will never take for granted again like what our bodies can can do for us they are so resilient and so strong and I'm I'm so grateful it's, it's wonderful that you're coming through this and finding your way back to health and finding your way back to doing all the great work that you do. And I, I went through your social media, of course, as one does, lovingly so, to prepare for this this interview. And, and you have a cat. You also talk about your cat on your website. But I find it funny that your cat doesn't appear as much as I would have thought in your social media. <laughs> so can you can you tell us more about about Cordelia and um, uh, what she's like? I absolutely can. Um, Cordelia is named after Cordelia Chase from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Which, which I also um, loved. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, amazing. She is two years old, two and a half years old. She is very sassy, very fighty, very bitey. She's a single kitten. Um, and I think she has single kitten syndrome. So I got advertised this reel uh, on Instagram the other day. And it was like, does your adult cat uh, have behavioral issues where like they bite and they scratch all the time? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and apparently this is because if you um, get a single cat, and they grow up being a single cat. They don't learn how to be a cat from any other cats. Uh, So because they're not bitten uh, by other cats, they don't understand when they grow up that that hurts and then they continue to bite as a way of playing. (laughs) So this is a small insight into uh, my journey with my cat at the moment. So we're thinking about getting maybe another cat so that she can Mm -hmm. be socialised better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Having had a single cat... And now we have two cats. Like, I would agree. Like, having a single cat was wonderful. We had an amazing um, cat who passed away um, several years ago when my daughter was a baby. But uh, I don't think she had single cat syndrome. But I did feel like when it was time to get another cat that I wanted to, you know, that I that I wanted them to have mm. each other. <laughs> I think... My cats, I think if they had been separated, they're siblings. I think if they had been separated, they definitely would have developed this syndrome, which is new. I've never, like, it's a new one on me. I've not heard of that before. <laughs> um, but I think, I think one of my cats may have single cat syndrome, even though they're not a single cat. <laughs> <laughs> they're just sassy. <laughs> just sassy. He's very bitey. He's always trying to like bite my hair. Like I don't know what I don't know what he wants from me. But yeah, so I'm gonna look that up. Thank you. Maybe for it's just me cats, about it. you know. <laughs> <laughs> is Cordelia your first cat? Yeah, she is. I didn't have any pets okay. growing up as a kid, so oh, it's, okay. uh, it's a total joy. She's she's incredible. I love her. Great. Yeah. So one of the things that I loved about your social media and also your website is that you share so much about your process and behind the scenes. And I think it's really unusual. Um, So I love that you're sharing your your tips and that it's something that I can bring into what I do on social media. So I want to make sure that everybody can find you and where they can get the plant-based cookbook for Crohn's and colitis. Could you tell us where you are on social media, what your handles are and um, where they can get your book? Of course. Thank you. Um, So I'm on Instagram and my handle is Helena Rose underscore photography. 
And that's pretty much the only social media platform that I'm really active on. But you can find my website, which is HelenaRoseMurphy.net. And there's a little tab on the on my website, which says my cookbook, <laughs> which is my cookbook. And um, <laughs> the, the book will be uh, available to pre-order this month in December. And it will be shipping in January 2023. And it's being self-published on Amazon. So there'll be, uh, you can search for it on Amazon or you can find it through that page on my website. I love it. It has been such a joy, first of all, to be connected with you and to see what you've been doing with social media and to see your beautiful photography. I cannot wait to see this cookbook. Thank you so much for connecting with me and for talking with me and being on About IBD. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so fun to chat with you. And um, yeah, I really appreciate your time and for, for having me on the podcast. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Helena Murphy for spending some time with me and kicking around these ideas of lifestyle and how they relate to living with an IBD diagnosis. Be sure to follow her on the Instagrams and her profile is at Helena Rose underscore photography. Her website is HelenaRoseMurphy.net. Plus, you can get the plant-based Crohn's and Colitis cookbook on Amazon. It has over 70 recipes, including some that are flair-friendly, plus tips on how to manage a plant-based diet and substitution so you can personalize things for yourself. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 127 page on aboutibd.com. You can follow me, Amber Tresca, across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. Cooney Studio.